Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. Joining you in the studio, it's Ian. And nobody. The interesting possible side effects of this Silicon Valley bank going down. Uh, The news is everywhere. This is so big, it's hit the front page, the top of the Drudge Report. Uh, Right now, you can go there and see it for yourself. But NBC News covering Silicon Valley Bank, one of the tech sector's favorite lenders, is shutting down. The California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation said, <laughs> fr- <laughs> said Friday that it was taking over and closing the distressed bank to protect deposits, naming the FDIC as its receiver. The FDIC has formed a separate entity where all insured SVB deposits will be available, they claim, by Monday morning. Now, of course, we know what they mean when they say insured deposits. They're referring to the uh, $250,000 per depositor amount that the FDIC claims to insure, which, of course, they're using taxpayer money uh, to shore up these accounts. So anybody that's got an account with more than $250,000, you might be up S Creek without a paddle here if you had an account at uh, this particular bank, Silicon Valley Bank. The closure marks the biggest bank failure since the 2008 financial crisis and the second largest in U.S. history after Washington Mutual collapsed during that industry-wide meltdown, according to FDIC data. Wow, I didn't realize it was the second largest bank failure in U.S. history. Well, of course, with inflation, that's easy to accomplish. Sure, uh, you know, a billion dollars today uh, isn't what a billion dollars was 20 years ago or 40 years ago or whatever. No. At the end of December, the Santa Clara, California-based bank, which is the 16th largest bank, or was the 16th largest bank in the country, had $209 billion in assets with more than $175 billion in deposits. As with other FDIC member banks, SVB deposits are insured up to $250,000 per depositor. But the FDIC has yet to determine how many of those deposits exceed the insurance limit and the agency said it would be working over the weekend to pair that or to pin that down. Well, now with a bank that is essentially catering to the Silicon Valley elite, you better believe there's going to be a ton of depositors there that that have more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I would think so. Yeah, apparently these are you know venture capitalist firms and tech companies and that sort of thing. And of course, if accounts. you're a company, you don't get. Uh you don't get deposit insurance at all. Oh, really? FDIC is only for personal? Yep. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's uh, it's going to be a large amount of their funds. Uninsured depositors will receive an advanced dividend as well as, quote, a receivership certificate for the remaining amount of their uninsured funds. So that's just basically saying, here's what your account balance supposedly was, right? And you... If you're in receivership, that would mean that if the bank gets purchased or liquidated, then they would get a... a a share of that as uh, kind of like a creditor, basically? Yeah, uh, yeah. As the FDIC sells the assets of Silicon Valley Bank, future dividend payments might be made to uninsured depositors, but there's no guarantee you're going to see you know, pennies uh, on the dollar of what you had, quote-unquote, in the bank. Silicon Valley Bank is known for helping to finance an explosion of West Coast companies in the tech sector, an industry that has recently been walloped by high interest rates and an economic slowdown. Excuse me. Many of SVB's depositors... It's funny, SVB kind of sounds like SBF, like all these three-letter acronyms, uh, are tech startups and venture capital funds, and it doesn't rely on mom-and-pop savings accounts like banks familiar to the the average U.S. household. Their tech-focused strategy has helped to ride the industry's massive growth leading up to and through the pandemic, but overzealous hiring during the public health crisis has more recently led the tech sector to institute sweeping layoffs as the Federal Reserve sharply increased borrowing costs to cool inflation and has raised expectations of an economic slowdown. Mike Mayo, bank analyst at Wells Fargo Securities, said Friday, quote, the issue here is what is the domino effect of problems outside the banking industry on the banks themselves? 
He said further banks are still at the heart of the economy, and if there are issues, then banks are going to feel it, unquote. He cautioned the banking system overall has more robust guardrails now than it did 15 years ago. Well, if that's true, then how did the number 16 bank fail within a week <laughs> due to policies yeah. put in place? Good. Yeah, you, you can't you can't prevent that kind of thing. Um Catastrophic failure of a system that's over leveraged with money they can print out of uh, thin air and aren't keeping deposits on on hold for uh, their depositors anyway. Yeah, I mean the only way to to have safe banking is not to have fractional reserve, mm-hmm. um, which means that the banks would have to make their money honestly, and they don't want to do that. Well, that's part of the game. I mean, yeah. they, they've got the permission slip from the federal government. To literally print money from thin air. I mean, why are they going to give that up? Um, well, I, I don't, I don't know if it's the answer, but if they started hanging bankers, it would probably happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> it makes me curious to see what's been going on over there in Nigeria. Were you on the show the night we talked about the Nigeria banking uh, situation? No, but I got a nice email from a prince there. <laughs> Uh, in the last few weeks, just before their elections, which happened at the end, I think, of February, uh, we covered a story that people were literally just destroying the banks in uh, and across Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting situation because what was what was happening was the Nigerian Central uh, Bank had decided that it was going to replace the Nigerian Naira currency with redesigned bills. So they weren't redenominating, which is you know normally what you would expect mm-hmm. where inflation's going on, and like in Venezuela, they would cut zeros off of the the bills and then replace them with new bills. In this case, they were just reissuing, and so they essentially told the people of the country, many of whom like forty percent don't have bank accounts, so there's a high amount of unbanked people there. They essentially told these people, "Hey, you got to bring all your money in, anything over two hundred naira, which is like you know." 40 cents or something like that. Mm. It's like a 200, a 500, and a 1,000 Naira bill. You got to bring all your bills in, get get all your money out from under your mattress, wherever it is you've, you've stashed it over the years, because it's no longer going to be worth anything when we finally mm. pull the trigger on this currency changeover. So they were essentially forcing people to take their money out from wherever they had it in hiding and bring it to a bank. And then what happened was the banks didn't have enough money to exchange mm. the existing currency for new currency. And all of this time, the, t- the time is ticking away of the, you know, they only had a few weeks in which they could exchange before the old notes would no longer be useful anymore, mm. would no longer be accepted. And so the Nigerians were like, F this. And they just took like poles and other things to the fronts, uh, the frontages of these banks, destroyed ATMs, which were limiting the amount of withdrawals that the, that they could make. They basically couldn't buy things because mm. of a self-imposed currency shortage by the Nigerian government. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Wow. I mean, as much as those of us who love cryptocurrency want to be able to opt out of the banks entirely, and for some people they've been managed you know, they've managed to do it, like Joel Valenzuela out on the mm-hmm. seacoast of New Hampshire. He's been living exclusively on crypto since 2015. So it can be done. But for those of us that, you know, still want to help people get out of the dollar, they have to have ways to get rid of the dollar. And one of the, the easiest ways to do it is to, you know, send a wire or an ACH transfer from your bank account into a crypto exchange. Mm-hmm. But if we're running out of banks that are willing to actually do that service then we've got a major problem on our hands. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's true. Um, although, you know, hopefully people will trade it for stuff. Yeah, well, that would be nice, too. And I have heard a rumor that AnyPay may be getting back up and operational again. They've been having some issues technically for some number of months, like a lot of months, and mm-hmm. apparently those bugs may have been fixed. Uh, I have not, obviously, I'm not able to test it myself, but I've heard through the rumor mm-hmm. mill that that's that's coming so it'd be great if that that happened again. Uh so let's look at the potential fallout here for the world of crypto from the failure of the Silicon Valley Bank. CoinDesk has what I think is the most interesting headline here about this bank failure. There's a stable coin, a big one that mm-hmm. apparently had an account with Silicon Valley Bank. 
So we talk a lot. We've talked a lot about stable coins here on Free Talk Live. Nobody, can you define for our audience who may be new to the idea of Bitcoin what is a stable coin? Well, a stable coin is a is a coin that is locked in value in theory to some other commodity. So it could be backed by dollars. In theory, you could have gold backed uh, stable coins. Mm-hmm. You could have. And they have those. Um, yeah, you could have uh, pork belly backed stable coins with enough stable coins you and and a sufficiently robust system for stable coins you could uh, replace the commodities exchange mm. um, and anybody could trade in commodities who wanted wanted to. I expect that if markets were free i i expect that's where we would where we would eventually go um but there's no telling where anything is going with you know madmen at the wheel well and so f- stable coins give more options to people in the cryptocurrency world who want to let's say sell their crypto like bitcoin mm-hmm. and get the equivalent of dollars but not actual dollars into their crypto wallet that they can then trade again for more crypto perhaps in the future, and, and maybe they'll mm-hmm. win or maybe they'll lose on, on that trade. But it gives people more yeah. trading options within the various different crypto marketplaces. That's one thing. Yeah, I've, I used it uh, in 2017. There was a, uh, there was a uh, pretty big uh, collapse one particular night, and so I put my money in... Uh, I I traded my crypto for one of the uh, dollar stable coins and uh, for the night and bought crypto back in the morning and ended up with uh, significantly more crypto than I had at first. So, yeah, I definitely came out ahead there. So it's a useful tool for trading. And mm-hmm. it allows people, uh, for instance, who aren't in the United States, to use dollars without having to have a bank account. So, like, there's all kinds of things that stablecoins can be useful for. Mm-hmm. But it requires some level of trust. There's a lot of evil tech companies out there. Sure, I wouldn't shed I mean, any Google tears. Google used to object to evil, and now they now they they had to take that off their uh, off their resume when they made their uh, deal with. Uh, the devil or the U.S. government, or both. Sometime in the last decade, too. It's been a while since they got rid of that slogan. Yeah. Uh, so as we just found out, the company behind USDC, the second largest stablecoin on the planet, which is a stablecoin is a cryptocurrency token that is supposed to be backed by something. And in mm-hmm. the case of USDC, it's supposed to be backed by the equivalent of dollars. Now, according to USDC's attestation, they uh, back their coin with government bonds and quote-unquote cash-like assets, including, according to their reserve report, $9.88 billion of cash deposited at regulated banks to back USDC's value. Their banking partners included SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. And so that would be a quarter of their, uh, of their assets. Correct. Well, now, again, that was at multiple banks, supposedly. Right. So we don't know how much of it was at Silicon Valley Bank. The full list of banks that held cash for Circle's USDC include Bank of New York Mellon, Citizens Trust Bank, Customers Bank, New York Community Bank, Signature Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, and Silvergate Bank. Now, we know Silvergate's closing down, and now uh, this one, the Silicon Valley Bank, is out of business. Circle said last week they had cut ties with Silvergate, the crypto-friendly bank that had halted operations and said it would voluntarily liquidate its assets Earlier this week, uh, Circle did not return requests for comment about the firm's exposure to SVB and Signature Bank at press time. Do you think you can get insurance on bank failure? Like that's like actual um, real insurance? I don't know. I know I have heard that there's certain banks, or maybe they're credit unions. I think they're credit unions, actually. So there's a credit union, if I recall correctly, in Massachusetts that claims that they are insuring deposits over $250,000. So I believe it can be done. I -hmm. don't know how common it is. I suspect it's not very common. And it makes me wonder if Circle, the company behind USDC, 
actually had any kind of insurance to uh, to cover this because they're being awfully quiet. If they're being quiet about it, that suggests that they didn't have any insurance and they're currently sweating it out to see what you know shoe drops next in this situation as to what they're going to tell their investors and their uh, their clients. Yeah, I would expect them to be uh, to be pretty vocal about it if they did have insurance in order to reassure investors and what have you right they would just come right out and say what everything's fine we got uh, lloyd's of london here they've mm-hmm. they've got us covered up to uh you know 20 billion dollars in losses from bank failure so we're good to go but as of right now they're not uh, not returning requests for comment Simon Dixon, the CEO of online investment platform Bink to the Future, spelled B-N-K to the Future, tweeted that Circle's chief executive said the firm held most of their cash in BNY Mellon while sharing a screenshot from March 2nd. Bank to the Future is an investor and shareholder in Circle. But what this really goes to show here, uh, I think, is that people who thought that these centralized stablecoins like USDC and USDT are some sort of safe storage should mm-hmm. be shaken to the core by a development like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's uh... It's ugly. So in other uh, economic and crypto-related news, this one's going to strike home for you, nobody, and, and for me here, mm-hmm. well, with what happened with the whole Crypto 6 situation, which, of course, involved both you and I and some of our friends. Uh, they're expanding out. They went after mm-hmm. us, and we were relatively small potatoes, all things considered. Just- yeah, they had us. Uh, they had our house staked out while uh, SBF was stealing billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they we did. didn't steal a thing. Nope, and they didn't allege that that we did either. And they they literally staked us out twenty four hours a day for months and months and months. Yeah. Uh, but they also apparently are going after a larger Bitcoin vending machine company, not the manufacturer of the machines, but a company that had dozens, at least fifty, uh, crypto kiosks in the state of Ohio. Hmm. This company was called Bitcoin of America. So kind of playing on the Bank of America mm-hmm. name. They called their company Bitcoin of America. They had uh, locations not just in Ohio, but in other states as well. But for whatever reason, Ohio apparently teamed up the Ohio bureau- uh, bureaucracy, their banker, investigator types, police, etc. Apparently there were like 28 different police agencies that teamed up for this takedown of uh, this company and their executives. They've been indicted for allegedly operating unlicensed crypto kiosks and claim that they knowingly benefited from victims of cryptocurrency scams. Hmm. S&P Solutions, which operated as Bitcoin of America, along with three of its executives, are facing charges of money laundering, conspiracy, and other crimes connected to the operation of more than 50 unlicensed crypto kiosks in the state. According to Cointelegraph.com, a Cuyahoga County grand jury returned the indictment on March 1st against the firm. The owner and founder, Sonny Maraban, manager Reza Maraban, and company attorney William Suriano. The trio was arrested last week and search warrants were executed on their residences in Florida and Illinois. According to the prosecuting attorney, romance scammers, law enforcement person impersonators, and robocallers exploited the lack of anti-money laundering protections in the firm's systems to transfer funds out of users' crypto wallets. Hmm. The bureaucrat, Andrew Rogalski, commented during a press conference that, quote, these ATMs are ready-made for scammers, adding that they direct the victims, which are often elderly or otherwise vulnerable, to specifically go to Bitcoin of America ATMs, take money they've withdrawn from their savings accounts or 401ks. They are then instructed to put cash into the machine in exchange for Bitcoin in a wallet they think is theirs, but have no control over, he explained. Hmm. Sounds familiar? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds very familiar to some of the allegations in the Crypto 6 case. Yeah. Now, we don't know all the details here. I did pull up the indictment of these three people who are running this business. They are facing dozens of charges, even more charges than uh, in the Crypto 6 case. But mm-hmm. curiously, they're all state-level charges. 
Mm. So even though the Secret Service, as you'll find out later in the story, was heavily involved in doing this investigation, which is strange because normally the Secret Service gets involved in counterfeiting operations. Mm -hmm. But regardless, uh, they were involved in this as well as whichever other Ohio police bureaucracies. But the feds didn't bring the charges here. It was the Ohio State Police that did. Interesting. not sure why they went that way, but that's the way they've gone with this particular case. Uh, and so alleging that these ATMs they're claiming are ready-made for scammers. But exactly what is it that these supposed anti-money laundering protections would have done to stop these elderly victims from going and pumping their savings into these machines? Um, Very little, as far as I can tell. I mean... um. They they don't even the the FBI didn't even bother to investigate uh, the actual scammers uh, in our case. No, they did in, not in our case, no. and I doubt they did in this either. They don't seem to be interested in actual fraud. Nope. They're interested in going after crypto com- companies any way they can. Uh, so it, I think they're just errand boys for the bankers. And this is the the narrative and the mythology behind the Crypto 6 case. They brought it up time and time again during my trial was, well, he had disabled these features and that is putting people in danger. No, these people admitted that they Mm -hmm. were completely under the spell of these scam artists. And there was one lady, she didn't end up getting called to the stand, but in her FBI uh, documents where they had interviewed her, she literally said she would have done anything that the scam artist asked her to do. So it, the, hmm. the fact that the machine had, has or doesn't have certain security features is completely immaterial to hmm. what these people are willing to do for these scammers. What matters is, does the owner of the machine have privilege? Does he have political hmm. connection? Because mm-hmm. if he has political connections like a bank, he's going to be just fine hmm. no matter what he does. And if he doesn't right. have political connections like a bank, he's not going to be okay no matter what he does. Right. It's nothing is about what is done. Everything is about who, who you know. does it, who do they own, who are they connected to, what politicians have they bought. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, Walmart and Target or CVS, these companies that sell these gift cards, they got connections. Mm-hmm. They got lawyers at the wazoo. They're totally fine oh, yeah. with the politicians. Oh, yeah. They could eat a dozen congressmen for lunch and not even miss them. Right. People are going in and out of those places all day long, and they're buying mm-hmm. these gift cards for God knows what purpose. Could very well be scam artists. There was one guy in uh, the Crypto 6 case who sadly emptied his account of his mother's inheritance to mm-hmm. one of these scam artists. Before he bought Bitcoin from us, he spent, ten, I think, like $16,000. We had him on the air with us one night. We did an extensive interview of the guy just so we could warn people about some of these scams that were going on out there. Mm-hmm. But he lost 16 grand in the, in the debit cards before he even bought some Bitcoin. Wow. So it's like there's nothing that will stop these people. One of these guys lost $1.2 million. They, they actually called him onto the stand. And uh-huh. he, again, he just you know, emptied out his, his savings basically to this scam artist. Only like a quarter of it went to the church's uh, Bitcoin sales. There was another $900,000 that he gave to this scam artist. And the federal government, as you pointed out, never asked him a single question about the other $900,000. No, they weren't interested in that. You know? And, uh, you know, people, people complain, people have noticed that the FBI is a political goon squad. Always but the has thing been. is, the entire federal government is nothing but a goon squad. Yeah. They are nothing but murdering thugs who will do anything to keep themselves in power and in the ability to kill. They are, they are using these elderly victims. Absolutely. With no interest in helping them. No, they're not interested in helping them. And it wasn't just that one guy. There was more than one uh, witness in my case mm-hmm. who we on cross-examination got to reveal that the FBI was not talking to them at all about the scam artist. One woman even admitted 
that she was still in contact with this guy uh-huh. up until up until just a week before the trial. She wow. is still hearing from him. She says he's still pitching her on new money making schemes. Wow. And when asked, did the FBI ever ask to talk to him, ever ask for his information, ever ask for contact information? No. She said she would be happy to give it to him. Well, he's too useful to them. <laughs> they can use him as an excuse to go mm-hmm. after people who are breaking the monopoly system mm-hmm. of the privileged banks. We, of course, covered the SEC and their various attacks on companies like Library, which, of course, is the mm-hmm. innovative cryptocurrency that has created an amazing decentralized alternative to YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got the really cool platform Odyssey, which is utilizing, to some extent, that alternative, and now the SEC is coming after them. Uh, they have won their case against Library, unfortunately, and now we're just waiting to see how much damage they are going to do in what is the equivalent of the sentencing, even though it's a civil case, so it's not sentencing. Mm. They call it a settlement portion of that case. We're still waiting for the you know, the full axe to come mm. down on them, but it doesn't look good for library. And similarly, it doesn't look good for anyone else in the cryptocurrency world, as this SEC chairperson, Gary Gensler, has stated that he believes that every cryptocurrency except for Bitcoin is a security. Hmm. You hadn't heard that one yet, huh? No, yeah. no. I, I hadn't heard the except for Bitcoin, mm-hmm. which is interesting because my theory for a long time has been that Bitcoin is the coin that's controlled by the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and It's certainly so, controlled by the bankers, and bankers make up the Federal Reserve. It's true. Yeah. So it, it's, not a, it's not a strong leap. So again, uh, it's, it's just about getting money into the hands of people who love the government because mm-hmm. they're co-conspirators with the government. Yeah, and by the way, what you're referring to is before 2017, a company was put together called Blockstream, mm-hmm. and they, in their investment rounds, were given heavy amounts of millions of multiple dozens of millions of dollars by corporations in the banking field like MasterCard and AXA Bank, which is an international bank. A mm-hmm. huge bank in like Europe, for instance, and those uh, that company Blockstream then started paying a paycheck to what had previously been volunteer programmers behind Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and that was when that was the beginning of the end, apparently, in my opinion, for Bitcoin as a useful peer-to-peer electronic cash, which is of course what it was designed to be by Satoshi Nakamoto, mm-hmm. the original and anonymous creator of Bitcoin. Well, Satoshi was out of the picture as of 2011. And, you know, ever since that time, these bankers have been manipulating their way into controlling the key programmers behind the project and mm. and uh, led to a kind of a, a disagreement, a large disagreement between some of the programmers in uh, in the world of Bitcoin. And they had a schism in 2017 when Bitcoin Cash was created as a you know, fork, as mm-hmm. they call it, a chain fork where they went off, uh, the Bitcoin Cash programmers went off in the direction they wanted to go, and then the complete banker-controlled programmers over on uh, Bitcoin went off in the direction they wanted to go, and their direction mm-hmm. was to essentially do absolutely nothing. Yeah, except yeah. come up with a completely different technology that's that's not trustless. Oh, you're talking about libra- uh, uh, Lightning Network. Lightning, yeah. Yeah, well, this was what actually was created by the Blockstream Corporation specifically, right? Mm-hmm. So. There are still some programmers on Bitcoin who aren't like Blockstream programmers, and they don't have. I don't think they have much to do with Lightning. I, it's my understanding that Blockstream owns Lightning, don't they? Isn't that their thing? Um, Maybe it's I, open source. I don't but, know. I know that Blockstream was looking to do side chains. Yeah, and that's um, what Lightning is. And you know that's that's one of the reasons that uh, they wanted uh, Bitcoin to be too expensive. To use directly, right? And there's no reason for big for uh, for Bitcoin transactions to be as expensive as they are, except that when the time came to scale, the programmers said, "Nah, nope, nah, we're not going to scale it." They could have scaled it and then made it cheap, continued to allow it to be cheap yeah. for anyone who wanted to on the planet to use it. But instead, they just uh, kept the restrictions, the artificial restrictions, in place which drove the prices up of the network fees in order to use uh, Bitcoin. Yeah. And 
anyway, that's that's kind of the brief history of how Bitcoin got taken over. Uh, but yeah, as you pointed out, how strange that this Gary Gensler, the SEC chairperson, specifically exempts Bitcoin from mm-hmm. consideration as a security and is saying that everything else under the sun is, in the world of crypto, a security, according to him, and will be targeted by mm-hmm. the federal government. There's a little bit more information here from a uh, local Ohio news company, WKYC, which is an NBC affiliate there. And here's an interesting takeaway. So the people they arrested for running this company, S&P Solutions, which was operating as Bitcoin of America, mm-hmm. include 45-year-old Sonny Maraban, 75-year-old Reza Maraban, and mm-hmm. 69-year-old William Suriano, their attorney. Wow. One of the agents here, the, the, you know, the, the key people behind this company, is 75 years old. Huh. So, I mean, it's just unusual because, like, one of the things that they did in the Crypto 6 case was they dropped the charges on the 60-year-old lady that they'd arrested as part of the original Crypto 6, Colleen, a a friend of ours. Mm -hmm. And we speculated that that was because they didn't want to have a 60-year-old lady as a defendant in a case where they're saying that 60-year-old and 70-year-old women were being targeted or elderly men and women were being targeted in these alleged scams, like that it wouldn't really... You know, mm-hmm. make sense. And yet here you have an entire Bitcoin vending machine company run by a 69-year-old attorney and a 79-year-old, I don't know if Reza is a female name or, or a mm-hmm. male, but, you know, and then uh, presumably her son, Sonny, age 45. Wow. Uh, they put out a press conference about it Wednesday. Numerous law enforcement agencies executed 54 search warrants across Cuyahoga and Lorain counties during the operation, which included 28 law enforcement agencies, uh, and then they blather on about uh, the scam victims and how, you know, supposedly they wouldn't have lost money if it weren't for their unlicensed vending machines, which is total nonsense because Mm -hmm. these scam victims are, sadly, they buy the scam artist scam hook, line, and sinker, and they are willing to jump through whatever the hoops that the scam artist puts up for them to jump through. If they have to go, let's, let's say... You know, some of these machines, we know they have limitations, for instance, on how many thousands of dollars that you can put in the machine every day. Mm-hmm. They'll just send them to more than one machine. Yeah. They'll go to more than one company and they'll just have them make the circuit. They'll, yeah. They're telling them all kinds of lies. It's like sometimes they pretend to be government officials. Like this mm-hmm. is what happened to the guy that, that lost $1.2 million of his own savings uh, in the Crypto 6 case. Only about a quarter of it went into uh to the church's uh, accounts so there was another three-fourths that went somewhere else that the feds never bothered to look into but this guy was contacted by someone who claimed to be with like the social security administration mm-hmm. and he said that i forget what the claim was but oh it's very urgent you have to send us your money i again i don't remember all the details on on what exactly the claim was but the man was uh, of the belief that the federal government was threatening him uh-huh. And that if he didn't pay this fe- supposed federal government agent who was telling him what to do on the phone, which, by mm-hmm. the way, this took weeks, according yeah. to this guy. This wasn't like some one-and-done phone call and then it was over. This was weeks of being on the phone with this scam artist and moving money from one account to another account and moving it over and extract, ex- you know, withdrawing it and sending wire transfers and, and then losing $1.2 million to these, to these scams. Wow. Are you telling me that this guy who was willing to lie to the banks mm-hmm. was willing to go through all, jump through all these hoops, would have been stopped by an anti-money laundering uh, ch- a check at one of these vending machines? They go on here, quote, one of the main... Issues with certainly the machines not being licensed in the state of Ohio, said one of the bureaucrats, and these individuals taking 20% of every transaction that occurred in the machine. That's the standard. Yeah. And and it has to be because, you know, every time you do a transaction, you could have significant, you're at significant market risk until mm-hmm. you get it back into crypto. Um you know, and there's a ton of compliance costs for those companies that are jumping through the hoops. Oh, yeah. So, so when you look at the actual rates, which you can do over it, well, not all on all machines. Some some of them keep it quiet. They won't mm-hmm. tell you what their rates are. 
But when you when you see rates that are revealed on these machines, or if you actually go to the machine and you do the calculation, you look at the current spot rate and you look at the price on the machine, you'll see that 20% is absolutely standard, including every company that jumps through all the legal hoops with all the paperwork and all the permission slips and all that. They charge the same amount. Mm-hmm. So this is not unusual. In fact, the crypto vending machines that we were running with the Shire Free Church, we made a point of uh, uh, doing pricing that was lower than everyone else. Mm -hmm. But that didn't matter. Because we just wanted to get Bitcoin out to people. That didn't matter. And Chris Chris Reitman from the uh, crypto or the Bitcoin embassy here in New Hampshire spoke to the jury and he explained that the vending machines that we had were market rates. So they weren't like some crazy, outrageous uh, fees by comparison. It was aligned with, in in my opinion, lower than your typical mm-hmm. market rates. But they just keep on bringing up the idea that one of these, uh, you know, that someone could go and buy Bitcoin from Coinbase at less than one percent, and that's true. Mm-hmm. You can if you can get a get a Coinbase account, right? Which most people can't. Well, it's not easy. Yeah. it takes time, and it's not convenient at all. No. So anyway, we go on. Uh, they say that these pe- these machines were used to scam elderly people in Northeast Ohio, including eight victims who were led to these machines through fraudulent means to transfer funds, according to the bureaucrat. He then gave uh, the example of a man who spent $11,000 within an hour. According to the U.S. Secret Service special agent in charge, Blaine Fortune, authorities began receiving reports for a number of elderly fraud victims being scammed by ATMs operated and owned by Bitcoin of America. But they weren't scammed by Bitcoin yeah, of America. W- w- was the ATMs calling them on the phone <laughs> and telling them that they were the real terrorists, the yeah. government? I mean, this news reporting is so, so dishonest yeah. and so biased. I mean, they are literally just taking the press release from the Secret Service or the Ohio mm-hmm. bureaucrats and they're they're hitting the print button is what it sounds yeah. like. I've got this video, I don't know if you've seen it, of, like, uh, newscasters from, like, 50 different uh, TV stations in America, all reading the same government press release as their own opinion. Sinclair Broadcasting was the company in that case. I know which one you're talking about. Uh, and it's interesting. It really looks outrageous because they have different brands. So they have like an NBC and a Fox and, a, and an mm-hmm. ABC. But it, it's actually all of those stations are owned by the same company. So what you mm-hmm. are looking at there is the sort of the results of consolidation in the the communications business or in the news news business. Mm-hmm. So it was a story written by some central program uh, director or whoever, some central mm-hmm. writer that that got distributed and they all ran the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting they call them program directors because mm-hmm. that's exactly yeah. what they do to people. They program them? Yeah. Yep. So uh, that's the latest news. These poor bastards are facing, I mean, 79 years old, this guy's facing the rest of his life in prison Yeah. Uh, for this. And all they were trying to do is get Bitcoin into people's hands and that you know, 2,500 Bitcoin vending machines are the total amount that this business claimed to have. And now they are, they've gone under. Well, I hope they find the right person to bribe, and I hope that person kills themselves with the money doing cocaine or something. Cointelegraph.com, <laughs> in related news, CoinCloud, which is a different crypto vending machine operator, has filed for bankruptcy. The company was in hyper growth in January of 2022. Now it has over 5,000 creditors and debts of over $100 million. Wow. CoinCloud, I think they even had a machine here in Keene. I know nobody that you had some comments on this whole January sixth thing, but I think it'll it's gonna it's actually gonna come up here in this audio from the uh, NBC Boston NBCBoston.com. They are doing this documentary series on the Free State Project, and mm-hmm. they've had ten or sorry nine episodes so far. Number ten's coming out on Monday, and what they started doing this week was they would play an episode, which is usually around twelve fifteen minutes in length. And then they have a guest in from that episode, and then they talk to that guest in the studio. So I'm not going to play the episode because we don't have enough time for it, uh, but it's excellent. I recommend you check it out, NBCBoston.com slash Free State. This is uh, on the watch party that they had for the episode on Secession, where they brought in Karen. 
The real Karen? life, the real life Karen, who, <laughs> yeah, who last year went against the Free Staters and the secessionists here in New Hampshire. She was the one who went to the ballot law commission with a complaint that said that she didn't think that the the, uh, the state reps who voted for independence, rather voted to allow the vote on independence. That's what the ballot. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what the constitutional amendment would have done. It would have just been a vote. But she was the one who led the charge to get those state reps banned from office, banned from holding office ever again in uh, New Hampshire or the United States. She went after them in the ballot law commission. They actually had this woman in the studio at NBC Boston. So I'm going to play the audio from this interview, and we're going to comment here thanks to NBCBoston.com slash Free State. Here it is. Right, let's get a little deeper and look behind the scenes. We want to welcome Karen Steele. She is a New Hampshire resident who is concerned about succession. Karen, welcome. Thanks for joining our watch party. Listen, I got to tell you, I think if I were a New Hampshire resident, just a regular person, I would have laughed off this whole succession business, even though it's clear. By the way, it's succession, uh, not succession is a common mistake, but mm. they're two de- very different words going on. Really serious and people are taking it serious. Um, you did the exact opposite of that. Not only did you not laugh it off, you took action. What inspired you to do this? If it was somebody who was up in northern uh, New Hampshire, I might have just blown it off. But when I realized that my state representative in my own little town of Atkinson, New Hampshire, was one of the sponsors of a bill to secede from the union, I was outraged. And I tried to reach out to him several times, and he never got back to me. And then I read an op-ed prior to the primary that somebody said that um, these people are ineligible to vote um, or to, to be elected or to hold office because of the 14th Amendment. So I did some research, and I read up on the 14th Amendment, Sections 1 and 3, and I said, they're right. These people do not deserve, they are not qualified, per the third Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, to hold office or to ever seek office. What does that Okay. So, have you heard this one yet? Nobody? Um, what, the joke about the, uh, about the, uh, people not being able to hold office? No, I don't know if there's a joke behind it, but, uh, yeah. there is one you can tell Well, me. usually when you say, have you heard this one before, you're, you're talking about a joke. No, no, this, this <laughs> claim, uh, that, uh, the 14th Amendment is somehow prohibiting any kind of discussion about secession. Yeah, and and you know she uh, she has it wrong because the uh, the it, it refers to people who have uh, who have engaged in rebellion against the United States, insurrection, or, insurrection or rebellion, yeah, which is which is violence, and, correct. Uh, and we haven't engaged in any violence, and none of those uh, state reps have engaged in any violence. Yep, and that uh, is basically— The state has engaged in a lot of violence. And but, that is what she was told when she went in front of the ballot law commission with her complaint about these state representatives. She was informed that this is, in fact, not rebellion. This is not uh, insurrection because it doesn't involve violence. It's simply putting something or attempting to put something on the ballot through mm-hmm. the political system. It's asking for an opinion. That's it. And so even though she was told that she was wrong, she's still insisting that she's right about it. We Let's go say on. that section of the amem- of the Constitution that your interpretation. Oh, I don't know why it just paused. I think uh, and others is that they can't hold office. Sure. It is the disqualification clause. So what it's really doing is it's adding an additional qualification for office. So you have qualifications for age and residency, and this other qualification, if you have um, pledged the oath to the U.S. Constitution, then you cannot engage in insurrection and a rebellion or give aid or comfort to the enemy. And anybody who is trying to dissolve the United States of America is indeed an enemy of the state. And it said <laughs> that they can no longer... Well, what do you think about that interpretation? Well, I'm definitely an enemy of the state, so... Uh... <laughs> Um, but then again, nobody is actually trying to dissolve the U.S. government. We're just trying to escape the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the U.S. government will still exist when New Hampshire secedes, uh, as long as they're not yeah. crumbling at the moment. And you know, yeah, and and 
let them. Uh, that way, if we have people here who want to be slaves, we can say, "Do it. Go across the border. Be a slave down there. We don't. We don't need slaves up here. We don't want slaves up here." Exactly. The federal government steals trillions of dollars <laughs> from the American people. They keep a big slice of it for themselves. They squander a bunch of it on endless, pointless wars. And then they squander another bunch of it on cronies yep. and bailing out banks and, uh, and you know. All the bureaucrats. All the bureaucrats. And all the waste and, and putting people in prison for oh, yeah. drugs and nothing. Um, and, and then they give a little bit back mm -hmm. and they're saying, how could you live without that little bit <laughs> you get back? Well, we're right. not having it stolen if we're not part of the union. Exactly. So we don't need the tiny little bit of what they steal that they give back. Right. We would keep the entire amount in New Hampshire in the first place and be able to spend it better. Because yeah. it would never go into somebody else's hands. It would never be taken in the first place. The New Hampshire government still has taxes, and that's a problem. But we'll deal with that our, on our own. Yeah. But the money that you're paying into the federal system would remain your money. And you would get to decide who to help with it, who to donate to, you know, how much to mm -hmm. donate to charity, what to do with it, maybe upgrade your, uh, your living conditions or, you know, save for a vacation or send your kid to school or whatever mm -hmm. it is that's important to you, you'd be able to do more of yeah, and those people who were working on the books would still get uh, Social Security because you, you know, you if you leave the country, mm -hmm. which is effectively what we would be doing, right. not by moving our bodies, but by moving the border, well, you still get your Social Security. You don't have to stay. Yep, that's Again. true. And, and of course, they're asking this clueless woman who, you know, she's not an expert on secession. She's just an expert on hating the Free State Project for wanting <laughs> to secede. She has no answer to this question, but let's go on. Whole new government and do treaties and pass through and passports and... I have no idea, but you're absolutely right. Economically, it's not feasible. Geographically, it's not feasible feasible but more important listen bitch it was feasible <laughs> it was feasible back in the 1700s when new hampshire did it the first time and we were yeah. not as economically well off at that time like the gdp of new hampshire has grown quite a bit uh, yeah. in that time frame but yet we managed to get out from under the at the time biggest empire in the world yes. and that began the death of that empire and we helped <laughs> the sun set finally on the british empire Indeed. um and it and it was none too soon yeah. and when i say we i wasn't actually there i'm old but i'm not that old <laughs> go on here certainly it's illegal I mean, in Texas versus White, after the Civil War, the Supreme Court ruled that Texas was still a United States since it first joined the Union. She's a Texas versus White supremacist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, lady, uh, there's news here, and that is that this is an opinion. Okay, This is not the law. When Texas versus White happened in the 1800s during the Civil War, basically, or right after it, uh, that was a decision made by some robed men that were appointed by Abraham Lincoln, who was a tyrant that would do absolutely anything he could to keep the Union together. And so mm -hmm. those people had an opinion, and there have been many opinions that the Supreme Court has had that have changed over time. Yeah. There, there was a time when the Supreme Court uh, wasn't supporting the Second, Second Amendment. Now they kind of are. Mm -hmm. um, there was a time when... Uh, when Roe v. Wade was law of the land. Now it's not. Um, I don't think that's necessarily an improvement, but some people do. It's a change. Uh, it's a change. Change of opinion. You know, and it all, all it takes is for... And and frankly, I don't care what their opinion is because the the Constitution was a contract between the several states. The federal government steals trillions of dollars from the american people they keep a big slice of it for themselves they squander 
a bunch of it on endless, pointless wars, and then they squander another bunch of it on cronies yeah. and bailing out banks and, uh, and you know... All the bureaucrats. All the bureaucrats and all the waste and, and putting people in prison for oh, yeah. drugs and nothing... Um and and then they give a little bit back mm-hmm. and they're saying how could you live without that little bit <laughs> you get back well we're right. not having it stolen if we're not part of the union exactly so we don't need the tiny little bit of what they steal that they give back right we would keep the entire amount in New Hampshire in the first place and be able to spend it better. Because yeah. it would never go into somebody else's hands. It would never be taken in the first place. The New Hampshire government still has taxes, and that's a problem. But we'll deal with that our, on our own. Yeah. But the money that you're paying into the federal system would remain your money. And you would get to decide who to help with it, who to donate to, you know, how much to mm-hmm. donate to charity, what to do with it, maybe upgrade your uh, your living conditions or, you know, save for a vacation or send your kid to school or whatever mm-hmm. it is that's important to you, you'd be able to do more of yeah, and those people who were working on the books would still get uh, Social Security because you, you know, you if you leave the country, mm-hmm. which is effectively what we would be doing, right. not by moving our bodies, but by moving the border, well, you still get your Social Security. You don't have to stay. Yep, that's true. It. And and of course, they're asking this clueless woman who, you know, she's not an expert on secession. She's just an expert on hating the Free State Project for wanting <laughs> to secede. She has no answer to this question, but let's go on. Whole new government and do treaties and pass through and passports. And I have no idea, but you're absolutely right. Economically, it's not feasible. Geographically, it's not feasible feasible but more important listen bitch it was feasible (laughs) it was feasible back in the 1700s when new hampshire did it the first time and we were not as economically well off at that time like the gdp of new hampshire has grown quite a bit uh in that time frame but yet we managed to get out from under the at the time biggest empire in the world yes. and that began the death of that empire and we helped <laughs> the sun set finally on the british empire Indeed. um and it and it was none too soon yeah. and when i say we i wasn't actually there i'm old but i'm not that old we go on here certainly <laughs> it's illegal I mean, in Texas versus White, after the Civil War, the Supreme Court ruled that Texas was still a United States since it first joined the Union. She's a Texas versus White supremacist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, lady, uh, there's news here, and that is that this is an opinion. Okay, This is not the law. When Texas versus White happened in the 1800s during the Civil War, basically, or right after it, uh, that was a decision made by some robed men. That were appointed by Abraham Lincoln, who was a tyrant that would do absolutely anything he could to keep the union together. And so those people had an opinion, and there have been many opinions that the Supreme Court has had that have changed over time. Yeah. There there was a time when the Supreme Court uh, wasn't supporting the Second, Second Amendment. Now they kind of are. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time when... Uh, when Roe v. Wade was law of the land. Now it's not. Um, I don't think that's necessarily an improvement, but some people do. It's a change. Uh, it's a change. Change of opinion. You know, and it all, all it takes is for, and, and frankly, I don't care what their opinion is because the, the Constitution was a contract between the several states. Let's go to David in Michigan. You're on Free Talk Live, David. Ian. Yes, sir. How's it going, nobody? You're good. You're on the air. Hey. Unfortunately, I've talked to you before, you guys, from Jackson, Michigan. hmm And boy, do I wish I lived in a different state. I was born and raised here. We wish you did, too. Darn it. Things have been going really bad there in Michigan. I mean, no, nobody's originally from there. Yeah, yeah. Ann Arbor. <laughs> born in Jackson. Ann Arbor is about 30 miles in I'm in Jackson County. Washtenaw County is 30 miles from where I stand right now. Okay. Yeah. And it's a whole different world there. Yeah, they threw me out last time I was there. 
you know, I understand it with the University of Michigan there. You talk about the state budgets, and I'm sure it's similar in other states that that's the largest part of the state budget is public education universities. Oh, yeah. I bet they you that's true they, here in, in New Hampshire. I just haven't looked at the, the numbers. I mean, they spend a ton of money on just the local schools. I'm not talking about the state universities, but I know no, that of the, locals, the local taxes on a property tax bill, 60 to 70% goes to the government schools. And they can't even teach a kid to read. No, they, they're terrible. That was part of my point with disastrous results. Huge pensions, unfunded, some of them. I used mm-hmm. to work for the Jackson Public School District as a maintenance guy, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I couldn't believe the amount of waste. Now, that's mm-hmm. not about the Supreme Court, because I'm just able to tune this in at certain times on my low-tech stuff here. But man, I said, what in the heck are they doing? Well, they're spending other people's money. I mean, so whenever you have... Mm-hmm other people's money to spend and it wasn't the money that you earned as judicious as you try to be you're still not going to be as good with it as the money that you earned because you're more concerned with your own money than you are of somebody else's and that's true especially when it's bureaucrats you don't even know and possibly a heck of a lot more conservative with your own money but if i got a decent job at the uh just got thinking about it now the legislature here in the Michigan is is a uh, Democrat controlled. Of course Whitmer's still governor. But gosh, they're sitting there gonna say, we're gonna infringe on your Second Amendment rights. I don't want to talk just about guns, but why in the heck are they gonna start increasing a legal buyer say I'm going out to buy a shotgun. They got to do a background check. Or the legislation says that it'll be signed by the governor. <clears throat> Basically, it says that you're going to get a background check, shotguns or rifles. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. What about the millions of illegal firearms? You're not addressing the problem there, mugs. Uh, well, I don't really care about illegal firearms. Yeah, I, I I like my guns like I like my uh, my immigrants, undocumented. <laughs> I get concerned when I see people who are carrying, you know, uh, mach- automatic weapons. <laughs> uh, oh, I didn't catch that line because we listened to this on the way home from uh, Frank's court hearing earlier today. I didn't catch the line about the automatic weapons. Uh, yeah, that I have only seen federal government agents uh, doing. Government yeah. goons are the ones carrying automatic weapons. It's it's true. Although we do have a, a larger number of machine guns per capita yeah. than any other state here, I haven't seen any open carry. Although no, people tend not to carry around a thirty thousand yeah. dollar uh, machine gun or whatever it is that they have. Usually they just stick to their pistols. God, or a are rifle. they buying those things the same place the military gets their toilet? I don't know. I've just heard that they're very, very expensive Uh, because of the licensing and the restrictions. There aren't very many of them. Um, I don't think they'll really use them, um, but that's why we need to let them know legally that secession is just not an option. But I-, uh, I got news for you, Karen. Number one, the reason one of the reasons why people carry guns is because if you don't exercise your rights, you will lose them. So just Absolutely. on a principled basis, it's a good idea to do it. But the number two reason is to keep people like you out of New Hampshire, because the fact is people who are deathly afraid of guns, when they see people open carrying at the local grocery store or walking down Main Street or whatever, mm-hmm. They tell their friends. They say things like, my God, I went to New Hampshire to shop today and there was someone with a gun. I'm never going back. They really are. There are really people who are leaving New Hampshire because people won't wear masks and people will carry guns openly. Yeah. And that's the first thing I say when somebody I don't know who they are is talking about uh, moving to New Hampshire, like on Reddit or whatever. First thing I'll say is, well, you know, you're going to see a lot of people up there carrying guns. So if you're not comfortable with that, you might be more comfortable in Massachusetts. I am concerned if we don't shut it down now that it could get to something like January 6th. (laughs) 
you know, you said... What would that look like? She's talking about January 6th in relation to secession? Yeah. What? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, um, I mean, for one thing, we're armed, so... If and when we got up in arms, it would not look like January 6th. The bill um, <laughs> for secession here specifically talks about peaceful independence, and they aren't even mentioning that aspect of this. There's, there's, no. This is very purposeful. They're taking the idea of secession, and they're mixing it with the idea of insurrection, mm-hmm. and that is not at all and, and what And they're was trying to do it without making the threat mm-hmm. explicit, but the threat is... Just like every abusive husband, if you try to leave me, I'll kill you. Um, part of your, the success of what you've done so far is that you've put success. the Free State Project on people's radar screens. Just anecdotally, have you Thank found you. that there's been more awareness? I mean, you didn't even, you seem like a pretty with it person. You've never heard of the Free State Project. Do you think Did most you have, she was a haven't? Person? No, <laughs> most people haven't. And I often think of the phrase, ignorance is bliss, right? I didn't know about it, even though they've been here for 20 years. But as soon as I found out about it, I can't let it go. So I have to continue on with this fight. But when I talk to people who've never heard of it, first of all, they think it's a joke. And fortunately, you guys have done this documentary where I can, you know, the legitimacy of NBC behind this is, <laughs> is really opening people's eyes. So you said that wasn't the arena. I guess the lawmakers agreed with you that that was not the arena for what you were looking to accomplish. What would be the next steps? Um, federal court. Mm. But I will say one of the arguments that the uh, the ballot law commission said is that uh, section or section three has not been used in over 100 years. And that was true. But 13 days after my appearance before the Ballot Law Commission is when Coy Griffin was removed from office from the Otero County, New Mexico County Commissioner. And he is now disqualified from ever holding office again. And that's exactly what should happen to all of the state representatives in New Hampshire who have worked and support secession. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.